Hello and welcome to the Groove Sofa podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. This week we are joined by Shlinos as we remember her mum who died three years ago from cancer. She shares with us the times where her grief has been unexpectedly triggered. She tells us about her therapy pet, Melody, and she finishes with some beautiful words of wisdom for those who've been recently bereaved. My name is Shlinos, Shlinos Owen. I live in Cardiff now in South Wales, but I grew up with my parents in North Wales in Anglesey and I'm an only child and it was um, just me and my parents really until I went to uni and in my early 20s I met I met a boy and he's the reason I ended up in Cardiff and we're married now so <laughs> that all worked out. <laughs> um, yeah so So today I'm going to talk to you about my mum, Bronwen. In 2017, she started to experience a lot of back pain and there was a lot of back and forth to, to the doctors and to, ho- to the hospital then for tests. And after a few months, she was finally diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she went on to have radiotherapy then quite soon after that diagnosis. She had radiotherapy locally in North Wales and then we didn't really know if she'd need any more treatment. So by now we were sort of up to Christmas 2017 and in then early January, I think it was decided that yeah, she'd she'd need chemotherapy. And from there, oh, her I know it sounds sort of silly to say when somebody has cancer, but her health sort of deteriorated in that mm. she was struggling to cope like with having the chemo you know it was I mean obviously there's always horrible side effects but she developed cellulitis as well and that kept her in hospital for weeks yeah it was just kind of one thing after another yeah and we had no idea you know if the chemo was working and it was all just a bit oh yeah just a bit naff (laughs) yeah it's this the unknown isn't it because you're just you're trusting the consultants you're trusting the oncologists or the radiologists and you're trusting that they will tell you if something's wrong or if something's going right and you're hoping that if somebody feels a bit better or a bit brighter then that means that they're heading in the right direction and there's just so many you know we've spoken about it before there's so many false hopes in cancer you think that you're getting a little bit closer to the end and then and then things kind of tail off. So what happened after your mum, had, you know, finished her treatment? 
Well, oh, she was at home sort of in between chemos when she was taken ill um, very early one morning. And, well, luckily in a way I was, I hadn't sort of moved up there temporarily yet, but I was on a visit and we called the ambulance at something like six o'clock in the morning and they they took her into the hospital and oh gosh you know we were you know completely in the dark we had no idea what was going on why she'd had this with this seizure it turned out to have been and ultimately we were told the cancer had spread and from everything's fine and we're going onwards with chemo suddenly we were being told right here is the number for the palliative care nurse um no no more chemo you know no more treatment she's got weeks to live so um, weeks oh my gosh that must have been absolutely unbearable news to take yeah. And how, how long was it from diagnosis until she died? It was quite quick, wasn't it? Yes. So she was diagnosed sort of November 2017. Yeah. yeah. And then she was made terminal in April then. April Gosh, it's just so like, you know, and then to death, it's sort of like seven months. That's that's absolutely awful. Um, it must have been, well, obviously, absolutely horrific. Yes, really horrific. Yeah. And suddenly we were we were driving home, you know, but our whole world had collapsed and we just didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously when the shock must have really, really kicked in for you and then continued to last for a really, really long time. And so, you you know, you get given these numbers for palliative um, care nurses and, you know, your mum gets diagnosed terminal. What was sort of, the, you know, the next steps after that? Yes, I, yeah. I did go back to Cardiff for a few days. Um, obviously, like, oh, I was on the phone constantly and my dad was assuring me that things, you know, were okay. When I got back, you know, if I'd seen, if my mum had been like that when I'd left, I wouldn't have left. She was obviously deteriorating quicker than like even we'd imagined. Um, And she ended up then, the idea had been that like she'd be at home and able to go into a hospice just for the day. But events, you know, overtook those plans and she ended up being in hospital permanently I mean they did they did mention perhaps she could go into a nursing home but you didn't need to be you know medically trained to to know that you know she was never going to get out of that bed again you know it was very oh my gosh that's so heartbreaking yeah it was very yeah when it when it when it was deteriorating i think it 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 surprised us all sort of the the speed 
yeah definitely I mean like it sounds like it just sort of went from worse to bad to worse to bad really really quickly and then so your mum's final few weeks was that spent in hospital did did she die in hospital or did she yes. move to a hospital she did yeah she in hospital yes and what he was there you know was it like you and your dad was your partner there yes so me and my dad with uh, were we held her hands and yeah my my partner was yeah was with us as well in the room I see that's so difficult but I'm really glad that you actually got to be there with her it's actually quite uncommon to be able to like to have everybody there yeah we thought about that a lot since and I mean uh, I'm just I'm just very glad I, I was there and it's you know it it's quite a moving thing. It feels, you know, it's it feels like it's quite a privilege to be there at somebody's last. Yeah, oh. we actually had somebody on a couple of weeks ago, and they were speaking about um, a final moment as such, and maybe that was like a final. Um, and this obviously wouldn't necessarily be you know minutes before your person passed away, because we actually spoke about how the final moment could have been weeks before the death or months before the death did you feel like you had a final moment with your mum when you really believed it was the end or did you just did you not believe it until she died and then maybe even not believe it still now (laughs) there's so many layers to that isn't there oh my goodness I think I mean looking looking back like I know there was like a final moment that I I have in the sense that like the last time we spoke, um, because my my mum actually she was unresponsive when she when she actually died she'd been unresponsive, so she wasn't. It's not like a coma, but you know she wasn't conscious either. So I I you know there was a few days where we we knew and we were also told by doctors you know this is a a late stage of the process of you know a person who's terminally ill she isn't going to wake up and suddenly be responsive again but I think I I have that moment where I remember like our last you know very mundane but not mundane either, like a discussion over how she was eating her, her yogurt or that was like our last conversation. And then I sort of have a moment where where she she died and the, the like the last exhalation. So I, I sort of feel like I have those two. My parents always lived up in North Wales like all all of my life so I basically gave up everything up in Cardiff and sort of rushed up to North Wales to spend my mum's last weeks with her and she died then on the 7th of June 2018 and ever since really it's been um 
it's been a journey of discovery, learning what life is without her, who the person who was sort of, even though so physically distant from me for a lot of the time, the person who was my my best friend and the person who I would tell almost everything to, whether that was I couldn't find my favourite pair of socks or <laughs> I want, you know, to make a big career change. Mm. And it's been, yeah, an interesting three years, really, ever since we lost her for me and my dad and and the wider family. Wow. Gosh, that's quite, you know, that's very difficult. And you've had to make that big move to kind of go back. And it's it's strange how, you know, when you kind of know that somebody's got a short time left, your life just goes on hold, doesn't it? You just have to uproot everything and move back and be with them. And I'm so glad that you did that because those were probably really, really precious times that you had together. How has your, you know, grief now process presumably you know you say you're back in Cardiff now you know how did that transition go how how was it when you were kind of moving back down to Cardiff after her death well I came back quite quite soon really um after the funeral and it was oh really like being in a bad dream just sort of trying to put one foot in front of the other really and yeah just sort of arriving back in my own house and thinking oh you know on the one hand it's nice to be you know back in my my own house back in my own bed and just me and my husband again but just so surreal sort of thinking did that actually just happen yeah (laughs) the distance did sort of yeah confuse things a bit and I think made it easier for me to sort of continue in this sort of shocked state yeah never used to like seeing my mum around Cardiff it was like my brain could still on on some level pretend oh yeah she's still alive and things are normal in North Wales and that's really interesting actually and you sort of mentioned shock and that's that's a huge thing you know that we experience when um we we lose a loved one would you say that shock lasted a long time you know how long would you say you were in that shock period for um yes yeah shock shock is something I think we don't talk about enough I mean in my you know I can only speak about for me personally but I feel it went on for quite a long time um and you know it can still pull me back in now yeah 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 I sort of feel I don't know sort of last summer maybe feeling like I was coming out a bit of whether it was connected to the whole crazy lockdown stuff (laughs) (laughs) I did did sort of feel oh my gosh you know this I was waking up from this kind of shock level that had been keeping me going in a way and and just letting me get 
used to the idea that my mum's died on a sort of on a slower slower pace yeah it's actually really interesting that you say that it you know still kind of creeps up because Mm. I definitely really resonate with that because sometimes I just forget or not forget but I just go like oh fuck my dad died like is that actually a thing (laughs) did that actually happen like I can't believe and actually um me and you share the same anniversary my dad also died on the 7th of June Mm. so like that was fairly recently obviously and that was what your third three-year anniversary Mm. my first year anniversary but around that anniversary I was like one minute has this actually happened am I actually in a state of shock that you know have I been in the state of shock the whole time I've just been on autopilot and it was it was just so surreal you just forget you just forget sometimes that it's happened and that it's real how would you say that you've kind of coped through your grief you know obviously you say about your husband and your cat you know have have they been really big support systems for you I'm a big advocate really of saying that animals and yeah pets are a big help with with mental health generally but in particular for my grief for me because we only got my cat since since my mum died oh my gosh is your cat called Melody yes yeah yes I just literally just remembered that your cat you posted Melody for the pet takeover that we did (laughs) oh yeah so tell us more about Melody Yes, so Melody um, sort of came to us the Christmas, like the first Christmas without my mum. It was just coincidence, like we went to pick her up sort of Christmas week. And we'd never had cats before. And I said to my husband, Oliver, I know like having a cat will suit us. And I just felt like I needed like I had all this love with nowhere to go and I needed somewhere to sort of put it. It was quite an an overwhelming feeling in a way. And I wanted to, yeah, sort of look after someone, some sort of animal. And so, yeah, we, uh, we got Melody and yes, I mean, the, the really perfect decision for us because um, it's just, nice to have someone to talk to who you have no expectation sometimes (laughs) it's so it's like so I think if you're not a pet person then it's really hard to grasp this concept but there is something about me and Alice have talked about this recently just being in the presence of an animal and you know like when my dog kind of cuddles up to me and I can just like hear him breathing or you know he's just kind of there and he's so calm and if I'm just sat there kind of having a bit of a sad moment or having a bit of a cry he just kind of comforts me whether it's him putting his little paw on me or whether it's just kind of snuggling in a bit closer he just knows and he is very tolerable of me like crying my eyes out at him <laughs> so yeah I wouldn't I don't know what I'd do without him honestly pets are just just amazing for grief they really are and you know all sorts of mental health but yeah in grief massive massive help yeah definitely she's uh yeah been a big help but yeah some really 
horrible days. And yeah, somehow it's, I don't understand how it works. It's really clever how they're so intuitive. Yeah, yeah they, they can definitely pick up on mm. on sort of like moods or feelings or even like I swear they know anniversaries and birthdays and stuff. <laughs> um, I was talking to um, an account on Instagram the other day, Gina, her account's Grief is Odd and she's got two cats and um, she says that they can, you know, yeah, really, really sense when things is going wrong and she had a um, anniversary the other day and her cat was just lying on her like all day, literally just like sat on her lap wouldn't move and yeah wanted to wanted to keep her company which is so sweet um so you spoke um earlier a little bit about yeah that transition back down to Cardiff um like being in that shock period and how that shock really sort of lasted for two years and and still sort of creeps up now where would you say you're at with your grief now? Like, what would you, if you were to describe grief and the way it is for you in your everyday life, what would you say? Mm, I think it's, it's something that's always there as though it's like a, a mark on the floor that sometimes I'm, I'm trying to step around it or sometimes I'm jumping on it. Sometimes I'm just, trying to turn the other way it's like it's always there and sometimes it's quite it's quite distressing and I don't want to have to deal with it and other days I think right I can I can look at that mark on the floor and I can I can cope with this so it's definitely very much an undulating and and yet a very constant bit of of everyday life it's just it's always there (laughs) yeah you know when you think that you're having a good day and then it kind of just pops around from the corner and you're like oh my god I was fine but suddenly (laughs) this thing has set me off (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) and actually in the questions when we asked you um previous to this you wanted to talk a little bit about the things that maybe have triggered you so is there anything that you can kind of um explain as those kind of grief triggers the things that have set you off and kind of you know made those bad days worse yes I think I wanted to sort of yeah talk about the the really really random triggers that can just be so frustrating it's it's like you were saying about how you can forget even although forget sounds maybe a bit sort of a bit drastic not not that we ever sort of it it, it isn't at the front of your mind isn't it Mm. and then it reappears yes yes it it happens with you know the most random thing that you don't even think would like even just right I'm gonna have this sandwich and then I'll think oh my mum would hate that sandwich or she would have loved that sandwich and it's just you're standing you know in the shop looking at the sandwich counter and your knees have just gone to jelly it's just the your brain has just gone somewhere where you were trying not to go or you were somewhere where you were back somewhere where your loved one was still alive even but oh yes this sandwich I'll phone my mum and tell her I was you know eating this and then you just sort of go 
oh my gosh, I can't do that as though it's new again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, when I was looking at your notes before we came on, Ooh. I was so excited that you picked this question <laughs> because nobody, can you believe that nobody has picked this question yet? Mm. And I just feel like there's unexpected triggers for grief, literally, like you say, every day, all the time, round the corner waiting for you. Yeah, from, from a sandwich, which, to be honest, it sort of gave me a bit of a giggle because it's so true. <laughs> Yeah. It's like my mum used to eat sandwiches, you know, and and it's just stuff yeah. all the time, every day. Um, yeah, like it doesn't have to be big things, um, really unusual things that maybe we don't think about. Um, I had one the other day. I drove to Bath, and I was driving to Bath, which is like one of the next cities along. Mm. And I was driving along and I suddenly thought, oh, my gosh, this is the journey that my dad used to do every day to go to work for like 25 years. And then I just really upset me. And I was like looking at all the trees and like all the fields and stuff. And I was thinking, dad has looked at these trees so many times and now he's not. And it's just like, why? I, you know, I never in a million years would think that driving to a city would really trigger my grief. But yeah. There's just all sorts of strange, strange triggers. That's why I wanted to discuss it. Like I wanted to give give a space to these really random triggers. But <laughs> <laughs> we had a we had a conversation with somebody as well about songs in shops. Oh. You know, like if uh, you know if a, a particularly triggering song comes on when you're in the supermarket, and that is like massive trigger you end up kind of crying in the middle of the supermarket thinking oh my god I personally think that all supermarkets should just be off off limits for people who's grieving because I don't know about you guys but for me like going to the supermarket um especially in like early grief is just so overwhelming and yeah there's like scary sandwiches and stuff everywhere so <laughs> you can never be safe no, that's true, because there's just so many things to see. And yeah, it's like all your senses are being hit all at once from like, oh, the clothes the person liked, you know, to, oh, they read that magazine oh, to all the food and oh, they use that kind of conditioner on their clothes. It's just so many possible triggers that, yes, in early grief, oh, if you can get anyone else to do your supermarket shopping... But I had I had one talking about a song um, in like, oh, a Chris, the Christmas Zoom quiz. We had like um, a guess, you know, guess the song or name the song and the artist. And it came on and it was um, the song from my mum's funeral. And I was just sat on Zoom, sort of, and I must have looked, I don't know, like all the colour just gone out of my face or something for these 10 seconds. It was just, and who could ever have predicted that? There's just no way, you know, of knowing. It yeah, was so surreal. <laughs> absolutely, that's a complete coincidence as well. And like, I think that's a really kind of scary one where you're at work as well. Like, it's you're not in like the company of a group of like grief people or no. people who like necessarily understand you're like in a workplace where you're doing this kind of awkward organized fun anyway <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how 
how did you find returning to work? It's not something that we've talked about loads, but I, I'm really interested in kind of finding out a little bit more about how people like navigate their grief in their work. Yes. Yeah, it's something that interests me because um, I found, I mean, I found it really difficult, to be honest, just really hard to like turn that that part of me off you know for a sort of eight hours right no no grief allowed because it can it can cause so many problems yeah and it's such a big part of our you know we spend so much of our lives at work and to think that we have to try and turn off that feeling that is so all-encompassing like grief is just so inescapable and the fact that we have to try and escape it whilst we're at work is just really just really difficult yes and there's the this expectation and I think I found it in a workplace maybe more than anywhere else the idea that you know as time goes on everyone else is thinking oh well it's fine now it's x amount of months it's x amount of years it's um yeah yeah definitely I, I couldn't agree with that more and I think actually to anyone listening I think everyone probably will feel quite similarly to what you've just said um work is you know it's a very brutal environment with regards to feeling like you should be over it or you know should be doing better and integrating back into the world after loss is so difficult did you have um any so like with trying to navigate like returning to work or like returning back to life in general which to be honest after a loss so significant such as losing your mum did you have any like really supportive friends or like how did it how was it for you and your partner um so when my mum was was really ill and was deteriorating thankfully because Oliver his work was was as as a self-employed um individual he was able to sort of transfer his desk up to north wales as it were so he, he was with me for a large part of of what was going on which was amazing so when we came back down then to our own house in cardiff you know he'd he'd seen you know he'd, he'd literally seen everything um he'd be that you know at the bedside with me and my dad you know when my mum breathed the last so yeah I think we got we got home and we thought oh my gosh you know we've we've come through all that um the world can't throw anything harder than than that at us yeah <laughs> um we we got engaged then about six months after my mum died, which was wonderful and you know sad at the, yeah. at the same time. But uh, we both felt you know at the same time it, it was it was a right thing to do. Yeah, that's really interesting actually because it's really similar to me and my partner and. Oh. Um, she was with me every step of the way we were sleeping Mm. on the floor in the bedroom (laughs) kind of checking on dad throughout the night um she was 
literally thrown right in the deep end. She'd actually never experienced any bereavements at all. She'd never lost grandparents. She still has a great grandmother who is 107. She's never, <laughs> she had never experienced anything. And then she was very much part of that last, you know, that last period of his life. And well, it sounds like your mum was similar in that, you know, you were at home and for, for a period of time while she was dying. And uh, she was she was there through the whole thing and it was intense, you know, and we came home from it and we were like, wow, that's crazy. That was like, you know, how could we not be together now? The idea of me ever trying to, you know, form a relationship with anybody else who hasn't experienced that with me now. Um, I actually went and bought an engagement ring um, literally about three weeks after and we got engaged about two months after he died. Um, because it just seemed so right but at the same time you know that engagement it was so full of happiness but also so tainted with those uh, with that sadness as well because we couldn't share it with dad how was your wedding about her there the planning of the wedding I think was definitely when I thought right I've got to put this put this grief you know in in that box over there and not open it until after the wedding I think I struggled a lot with people expecting you know you to be this you know this oh bride who's always you know so excited and just oh just so happy about everything all the time and it doesn't I didn't find it sort of goes with it doesn't allow for a oh but your mum's not going to be there it's like there's no space for that so I was very frustrated a lot of the time during wedding planning because I think I just wanted to stand in the middle of the room sometimes and scream my mum's not here this is really crap you know (laughs) I want her to be there to you know pick the dress with me the dress was a big issue and you know I wanted to be there to you know being there for 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 the whole you know the whole thing for the whole thing yeah yeah so um it was yeah it was it was really hard it was really hard and you know we had a wonderful day but you know there's somebody missing from the photos yeah i think as well like when we're you know younger like you know pre pre-marriage pre-engagement pre meeting meeting your partner um we always sort of envisage our parents to be at our weddings or you know whether it's your wedding or whether it's your graduation or you know buying a house or moving house or even just little things like you were saying at the beginning of the episode about um career changes I think you said not being able to find your favorite socks <laughs> um, but you just imagine your parents or and your siblings and you know or partners whoever it is that's in your life um and very close to you we imagine them at certain stages in our life to always always be there so when they're not there um for significant things like a wedding it's really really tough and I think yeah like it's something marriage to me I'm not sure it's on the top of my priority list because I literally can't even think about getting married without having my parents there and like I just like there's part of me that thinks to myself maybe I just won't get married you know because 
I just think it would be, yeah, I think it would be really, really upsetting. Um, so unfortunately, as you've just said, you know, your mum wasn't able to be there for your wedding, which is really, really difficult. But I wonder whether you wanted to share some memories of your mum, of some happy times when you were together. Maybe you had, I don't know, a little thing that you used together. Maybe it was big, maybe it was small. Just, yeah, we'd love to hear some some happy stuff about your mum. My mum unfortunately even oh gosh decades before you know cancer came along she had several other chronic illnesses which she'd been coping with for most of her adult life and that meant really that she she hadn't worked since she was in her mid-20s and she was at home a lot you know she had to rest and she had to watch what she ate and that was never never a negative thing and you can imagine I'm sure you can imagine now how that really has helped me at points over the last year yeah sure and that you know she loved she loved being at home she loved her own company she loved you know being a stay-at-home mum for me she loved an hour on her own like doing her jigsaw or the crossword so you know when when I think of my mum now and in a way the most important thing like I remember about her is that like she was, you know, she was never the sort of person who was going to go to Australia or like, you yeah, know. <laughs> um, you know, but that didn't mean that her life was any, any less exciting, really, because to her, it was all about the little moments. It was about sitting down and having tea with me and my dad. And it was about, you know, clearing the ironing off the table so I could do my homework after school. Oh, I love that. Just really content <laughs> in her, like, quaint life. And yeah. if and I think of any any couple from, any older couple from uh, North Wales, I think that's probably where my head goes <laughs> to, is just really like village life <laughs> doing the crossword having a having a roast every Sunday like just really like staple oh. moments of life <laughs> yeah and it's it's in, in knowing really that in you know the little moments are the big moments aren't they it was something you know my mum my mum knew that and yeah, at the, over the past year, when I've sat, you know, in the house staring at my husband for the, you know, what day, what <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, my mum was onto something there. She, you know, she was wise. <laughs> yeah, she would have been, she would have been fine through this pandemic. She was ready for it. She was yeah. prepped. She had every crossword lined up for. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, we can all learn a thing or two about somebody who is absolutely content with sitting in their house and doing a crossword and just yeah. being in their own presence. She sounds fab. She sounds really, really lovely. You mentioned in um, 
the questions that we sent over that you actually experienced cancer when you were a child so I just wondered if you'd like to kind of share any insight around you know how it felt for you then having your mum diagnosed later on in life so I was I was a 12 year old going through uh, stomach pains which you know isn't the most unusual thing in the world and for weeks I was told oh you're going to start your period any day now so I was sitting there you know in school waiting for my period and then I was in a gym gymnastics class and I felt a bit poorly to say the least and anyway in a couple of days later I'm in um, a children's hospital having a cancerous tumor removed um, my dad's standing by the bedside telling me I'm going to need chemo so yeah a bit a bit crazy but it had you know it had a very good ending I I I was you know very lucky the operation was a total success I went on to have that chemo and a few months and I was given the all clear and touch wood you know cancer left my life that day and gosh that's a good 20 years ago gosh that's that that must have been scary because 12 years old is it's a really transitional time in your life and you do know what's going on when you're 12 like (laughs) yes it's not like when you're six and you're going like okay I'm feeling really poorly and I don't really understand this but when you're 12 and being told that you're having to have like a major surgery and then have really intense treatment that's going to make you feel worse before you get any better like that's a lot to process yes um yeah definitely and I don't think it's something that I you know I I didn't process then I think I spent the next how many years really processing yeah I bet processing all that but by the time we got to my mum being diagnosed with cancer you could have push me over with a feather I just couldn't believe it I just it hadn't entered my head that it it would or it could happen to my mum even Mm. it was as though I felt on some level that I'd oh well I had that knock (laughs) somehow that would mean my parents would be okay yeah, I can completely understand that logic, though, because if you think that the statistic is one in two people will get it and you think, well, we're a family of three and I've had it, then, you know, the chances are that you might be the only one that gets it. So yeah. I can completely understand why you'd have that level of shock. Yeah. I think I think like the reality is, is that, you know, when you're however old you are, you know, whether it's a a child, a teenager, whether you're in your 20s and in your early 30s, none of us envisage anything happening to our parents, to be honest, because I think we almost just sort of think that, you know, our parents are just going to live until they're 90 90 years old and then one day they'll (laughs) peacefully fall asleep, you know, peacefully pass away in their sleep. The reality is, like, that doesn't happen. So, yeah, like cancer diagnosis or, you know, however it is that somebody dies in your life, we never really counter in for that, especially when we're sort of at this, you know, younger age bracket. 
And I think that's why places like Let's Talk About Loss are so important. And I know obviously you're part of the um, Bristol group. How do you, have you, how have you find like being part of Let's Talk About Loss and stuff? Like, have you found that helpful? Do you connect with it much or? I found it massively helpful. Although I've yet to, unfortunately, I haven't managed to make it do anything in person yet. But I mean, just having, yeah, support, you know, on an online basis on like a Facebook group and the Zoom meetings I have found to be, to be really helpful because I think that's part, part of the, part of the taboo of grief and all of this sort of the disbelief but it comes with and like yeah the shock of my mum's cancer diagnosis is when I look you know at people sort of under 40 who I know all their parents are still alive yeah yeah it's like how can this happen because he is you know 10 people who are about my age or a bit younger or a bit older and you know they're they're all still alive and I don't understand and how can my mum have cancer I think it feels so isolating doesn't it and then that's when let's talk about loss gets involved and you you realize that okay maybe there are other people who's gone through the same thing and maybe there are people who get it and when you have struggles with like you said earlier in the episode struggles with like expectations within work or just general life even friends and relationships you know it's really quite broad and then meeting other young people who's experienced loss it just really helps like validate your feelings and stuff like that would you say that um let's talk about loss and of course melody have been the biggest things that have helped you through your grief or have you had anything else but they're definitely two yeah two big parts sort of in my toolkit one of them big white and fluffy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I I've also had um I've had counseling via cruise and I've I've definitely found counseling helpful on a one-to-one level um that's that's been a big help as well yeah, crews are great. They're a really, really good source of because I think a lot of the people who do the counselling are volunteers as well. Yeah, so it's quite amazing. a nice kind of open talking therapy. It's not so much kind of like seeing a therapist and having to kind of sit in silence. <laughs> yes, and they um, they've all they've all had their own grief as well so they do actually come from you know knowing what what it's like themselves which with a a, you know a private therapist you don't know anything really about how they've come sort of to the that career so to know that you're speaking to somebody who yeah has had a, a big loss in their lives too that can be comforting yeah definitely um I recently did some stuff with Cruise and it's very much like Well, I don't know whether they offer different services, but the service that I had was very much like a listening service. So like they didn't really say much to me, to be honest, you know, 
it was very much just sort of like listening, asking gentle questions. And it's just that feeling of, yeah, being heard and, and being validated. And I think, um, thing, yeah, that's just so important uh, when you are grieving, finding finding um, other like other young like-minded people and yeah just having somebody to really listen to you um so you can get whatever it is off your chest uh whatever it is you've been thinking or whatever it is you've been feeling because I think especially if it's like a first time bereavement some of the feelings and thoughts you experience can be really quite frightening and quite isolating so to sort of be able to say them out loud to somebody and then just sort of listen to you I think is really really powerful yeah this huge shock like you've had this huge event in your life and yeah I think you were spot on there it is important I think to say there is a lot of fear that comes with it and so yeah to be able to to have that heard and not think oh somebody's gonna think I'm crazy because (laughs) you know I haven't had a text message answered so I think this person's died yeah you know that's very real or i'm crying over a sandwich because oh, yeah. i don't want to tell my mom <laughs> i know it's it's so validating like having having people who hear you and would you um just to kind of finish off do you have any kind of like words of wisdom towards anyone who um, maybe has been bereaved um, or suffered the same or similar loss as you maybe i'll say it as though this is what I wish I could have said to to me or heard yes. said to me. You know, <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> three years ago. Oh, first of all, and I, you know, I mean this sincerely that I am so sorry that you have to go through this because it is absolutely dreadful, and I'm really so sorry that you have to feel all these intense feelings and go through all this pain and most of all though what I want to reassure you is hold on reach out when you need to and be kind to yourself and just do what what you need really because this is going to have a big impact on your life because your loved one had a huge impact on your life and I'm sure more more than you know right now is they would be so proud to see what you are going to become on this journey because you are going to (laughs) rock if you get on top of this grief then uh, you're gonna you're gonna be a rock star Thank you for listening to this episode of the Grief Sofa podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review to help us reach new listeners. If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on the Grief Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at the Grief Sofa or email us thegriefsofa at gmail.com.